The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 40. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make himself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Right now, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery during its second season, and this week we're talking about the most recent episode, Project Daedalus. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Uh, very well. Welcome back, by the way. We missed you. Oh, yes. I was, I'm sorry I missed last week, and, you know, <laughs> probably one of the best episodes of, of Discovery, and I'm gone. And I had to listen to it on Tuesday and go, oh, man, I missed out. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way it is. That's the way it is. And and Jimmy Aiken, thank you. Uh, Welcome, Jimmy. Hey, Dom. So, uh, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia. Retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and leave us comments on the show. Uh, We have a comment from a listener that I'm going to read later on in the show that... uh, they had uh, some feedback for us, and we'd love to get your comments. Uh, if you have not done so, uh, if you're listening through your web browser for some reason, please subscribe in iTunes. You can do that on your on your smartphone or on your iPad or on your uh, you know, various devices. Uh, even if you listen to Android, you can listen to the show. Right, Father Corey? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's so, obviously it's not iTunes on there. It's Google, uh, the Google uh, podcast app. Yes, it's, it's there. Yeah. So uh, you can subscribe at iTunes, Google, Stitcher, tune in uh, on YouTube. where you can hit the bell to get notifications and please share the podcast with others. Write a review in uh, various podcast directories. All that stuff helps. We so appreciate your help in growing this community. This is a community effort. We do this on this end, but you help us reach the audience and grow the community. And that's, that's, we really do uh, greatly appreciate that. And if you, and if you've set your wake word for your echo device to computer, which you can do, you can say computer play secrets of Star Trek podcast. Exactly. And that will play the most recent episode of the podcast. Oh, but you can you can also go back. You can say computer next episode and it'll play the previous one. Oh, and, cool. Hmm, yeah. I didn't know that. You one. can All also right. within episodes, you can say if you've heard part of it, but not finished it, you can say computer, go forward 20 minutes or whatever. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. The 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 using Google Home or Echo, uh, you can listen to podcasts and you can do that with any podcast. You just have to say the title and then podcast. Yep, I tried tested out on Google Home the other day and it works great with uh, Secrets of Technology, with this one, with Let's Talk, a bunch of our podcasts. So it's got to got to be a it. little meta saying "Computer Play Secrets of Technology" podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, this episode is called Project Daedalus. But so before we get into it, who is Daedalus in antiquity? So Daedalus was a craftsman in Greek mythology. He built the uh, famous labyrinth 
for King Minos at uh, on Crete, you know, the one with the Minotaur. And he was less happy when Minos then imprisoned him and his son in the labyrinth. So to escape from the labyrinth, uh, Daedalus made wings out of wax so the two of them could fly off. But Icarus famously did not heed his father's warning and flew too close to the sun. So his wax wings melted and he died and Daedalus mourned him. So that's who Daedalus is. What I find interesting is that with this title of this episode is that we don't actually see Daedalus. The, the reference to Daedalus comes at the very end. The Daedalus project comes at the very end of this episode. So it's a kind of an interesting naming of this that, that, that they go through here. It, it's it's possible. I think there have been ships before named Daedalus in Star yes. Trek, but yes. um, but I don't know that that's going to have anything to do with Project Daedalus. Mm, there was a, uh, there was an uh, Enterprise episode called Daedalus. The it, that's about the inventor of the transporter. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, right, yeah. Huh? Uh, so I don't you know if it? that one has reference. So maybe. Yeah, and that deals with his son who foolishly used the transporter when he shouldn't have and got stuck in this quantum limbo thing. Right, right. right. So, I mean, given the Red Angel and our theories about the Red Angel, maybe there is a, a connection. I mean, the Deadless Icarus wings, Red Angel wings with a person wearing them, mm, possible. That's, that's an mm-hmm. interesting uh, connection. Yep. Uh, I found it. By the the way, also, before we start, I want to say congratulations to Anson Mount, who plays Captain Pike, because and I haven't done the math to see exactly when. But at this point, he has played Captain Pike more than any other actor. Captain Pike has been played by like four actors, starting with uh, Jeffrey Hunter. And uh, and now Anson Mount has played Captain Pike more than anybody else on screen. So I think he now owns the role. Right, because there was oh, also yeah. a Pike in uh, um, uh, Star Trek in uh, in the Menagerie, and then the also darkness. in the J.J. Abrams movies. Yeah, Into Darkness, yep. he was played by. Uh, oh, and he he was in Star Bruce Trek Greenwood. the movie too. He helped get Captain Kirk into Starfleet. Right, right, right. The original, yes, uh, Bruce Greenwood in both of those. Uh, yes. Yep. Uh, another uh, little background: this episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes. Uh, Captain mm-hmm. Commander Riker uh, from the next gen. So uh, he's Ooh. been <laughs> I ha- very famous director, but I just had a dream last week involving Q and and Commander Riker and Captain Picard. It's an it, this scene, alternate scene <laughs> came to me from all good things. The next gen finale with weird stuff involving Q and Commander Riker. I'm going to have to write about it. That's <laughs> yeah, funny. That should be interesting. So uh, so Frakes has uh, done a few episodes of uh, Star Trek uh, Discovery and uh, and some other Star Trek related projects. So uh, good episode for him. And uh, so the the recap is. The Discovery is infiltrating Section 31's headquarters. They have the traitor that they that's in their midst in the form of Commander Arium, who's been infiltrated by the virus from the probe. And um, you have Burnham and Spock trying to uh, work out their issues with one another. Uh, in the and midst the of Red Angel. And the Red Angel. One of the things we, we find out right really early is... That control that Section 31 keeps talking about, control, it sounds like the boss, turns out to be an AI threat assessment computer system 
that Starfleet as a whole has been relying on that it seems to, but is really controlling section 31 and it and it really i started to get a real deja vu uh to m5 and the original yeah. series episode the ultimate computer yeah what, what could go wrong of course <laughs> yeah. my, my my thought I, what i wrote down as i'm watching this is skynet is coming online yeah <laughs> right I mean, it's the same same idea of like the ai the you know the the self-aware ai that's kind of trying to take over everything it really is along that line that's really what they're doing here i mean unless they are faking us out because they've told us okay we have a future where all intelligent life has been extinguished it's meddling in in the past with time travel guess what control is an ai control ends up being the big villain in this episode so control is clearly trying to engineer its own past and control is basically Skynet from the Terminator series. Right. That it's become a trope in sci-fi that an AI that's designed to protect humanity from threats will eventually realize that humanity itself is the threat or, or in this case, intelligent life is the threat. And so the only way to perfectly save everyone is to kill everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love and, I love some of the speculation people have done about how to control AIs like, you know, you've got a kill switch on them and and where you can physically disconnect them. And 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 so we're all safe. Right. But then if the AI is smarter than human beings, it starts talking to you and it starts talking to you about that kill switch and <laughs> the need to make some adjustments that'll be better for everyone. <laughs> yes. Right, right, right. Uh, it, it actually sort of reminds me a lot of the premise of the Netflix series uh, Travelers, which sadly got canceled after its third season, which was also based on a an AI in the future that's trying to fix the future. Um, in, in that case, it's a it's a uh, pro-human AI, but fighting against an anti-human AI. And then also we saw it in Person of Interest, the same sort of thing. So this is this is ground where this is not original ground where we're heading toward. Uh, if this bears out, this theory bears out, which it looks like it will. Uh, so the the episode begins without a voiceover for the first time in in many episodes. We we go right <gasps> into it. <laughs> what will we do <laughs> exactly no uh no uh personal log no uh musings of uh burnham or somebody uh just right into the action we have admiral cornwall coming back uh landing in the hangar discovery who and and she somehow found them even though they're on the run i got to say she got in contact with them to to tell them look i'm we're on the same side here my thought because my question is how do how do they know that they can trust her that she's not setting them up to turn them in. Right. Yeah. And they never, they don't even address that at all. Right. And they haven't fully deduced from, even though they had the evidence from last episode, they haven't deduced that it wasn't Tyler who sabotaged the spore drive. Tyler, who is locked up in his quarters and will not be seen at all in this episode, by the way. Uh, he is, he's uh, absent. Um, so Cornwall shows up to test Spock. Now, remember, Cornwall is a uh, psychologist by training. Uh, we do that last season. And so she's testing slash interviewing Spock with a future version of a polygraph. And and that this had a question in, raised in my mind, because based on last season, they seem to be hinting that uh, Cornwell is eventually going to go mad and become the Lethe character who we meet in the original series um, on on the like insanity asylum planet. Um, dagger of the mind 
But I'm wondering if they're going in a different direction now, because in this episode, she interacts with Spock directly. And I don't recall if she if the Lathe character interacted with Spock in Dagger of the Mind. But if she did, that could signal they're going in a different direction with her character now. Right. I I, I felt like that, like last season, it was a, it was a thin uh, basis to, to go there. But the, the possibility was there if they'd wanted to. She was introduced in an episode called Lathe. <laughs> Right, right. That was the the uh, the idea. Um, it, yeah, you, you're probably right that they've decided to a lot of those threads laid down in last season, I feel like have been sort of abandoned and they've taken up new ones uh, with some of these characters. We do learn in the in the psychological interview why Spock committed himself to an asylum, because that's been a question. Why do we knew he committed himself? We didn't know why. And it's because. He says he uh, committed himself because he didn't believe his visions of the Red Angel were real. He thought he was going mad. Which, but once he learned, once he learned my visions are real, well, I can check myself out now and nerve pinch people if I need to on my way out. (laughs) Right. Uh, So Burnham is ordered by Pike not to talk to Tyler, and she says she'll clear his name anyway, and uh, because she believes him. It's like, Mike, that's not your assignment. Right. I just gave you an assignment and it wasn't that. <laughs> and she said, I'm going to do it anyway. So, but, uh, but I, I won't, I won't uh, be derelict in my other duties. So Cornwell's problem is, is while Spock passes the polygraph or whatever it is, uh, she has video of, of Spock committing the murders and it, and, it, and uh, analysis shows that it's not fake. Uh, which we know eventually that it is, of course. So somehow something well, and, and something of course wrong it's there. it's different than what Burnham saw when they were on uh, right. Telos Four. After he nerve pinches and punches people, he then gets a phaser and shoots them dead, even though they're already incapacitated. Right. We also learned that Section Thirty One's admirals haven't responded to Cornwell in weeks, and Control, which is a threat assessment AI, as I said, isn't accepting her input or any input from any Starfleet admirals. So they're supposed to input data and then they get a threat assessment back. It's a, a tool. They just, they just, just got to reboot the server. That's all it is. Well, yeah. that's the thing. And, and, yeah. And Cornwell, like, seriously does not trust Vulcan Admiral Patar, which I it sounds like a kind of Indian food. I want to have some Patar <laughs> with maybe some chutney and <laughs> vindaloo. Right. But it's anyway, she like doesn't. Bow, but yeah. Yeah. She doesn't trust Patar because Patar is a logic extremist. Ah, yes. The circle uh, pulls tighter on that uh, because there were logic extremists that attacked uh, uh, Sarek's family because of Spock and uh, and Michael. And they, they did bad stuff last season, too. Yes. So uh, so Patar, yeah, as a logic extremist, he wants to turn over all strategic decision making to control. Yeah. She says as soon as the red red signals, angel stuff started happening. Patar started saying to Starfleet Command, you got to turn everything over to control. Since the, the computer is the most logical, obviously. Yeah. So the mission is now go to Section 31, arrest Patar, and reset control. Reboot yes. it. Yes. The, the, the uh, IT mission. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, these are the new Starfleet geniuses uh, instead of Apple geniuses. Then we have this fascinating moment where we, we see a memory uh, play, playback. Um, where we realize that Commander Arium is actually a fully human woman who mm-hmm. was well, married. Not fully. Well, previously she was. She was. Previously. Yeah, yes. she was a fully human woman who was married and eloped. And so she 
she and her husband had recorded this message for their family that that we seeing in a memory um, on a beach in Hawaii. Yep. Uh, and they were about to get back on a shuttle to to get back to, uh, you know, wherever, wherever, wherever to see everybody. Uh, and there was an accident in which presumably he died and she ended up having to be cybernetically augmented to save her life. And she has to um, upload her review and upload her memories every week to clear out the uh, the buffers or clear out space. Kind of like kind of like clearing your, your, you know, like what, back to the old days where we had, you know, actual cameras, digital cameras. We had to pull out the chip and yeah. clear the memory on it. You know, I'm think I'm thinking that she should have a hard drive big enough in there that. She could at least save low res versions of these memories. She shouldn't have to do this every week. <laughs> Although, if you think I don't, about it, I don't have to do that with my computer every week. If you think about it, since I mean, we re- we see every single moment of our lives, but we don't remember them. Our brain, our brain purges the unimportant stuff, like walking through the hall, uh, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, and so that there's probably a need to purge that sort of stuff uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, but kind of makes sense. But you would you would think that the the artificial intelligence that would be helping her augments work would be doing that as well. And you know, that brings a question then, did she have, um, was there brain damages, you know, as part of this, is that why she needs this for the memory aspect of it? Was there, you know, how it really, they really don't say other than the fact that she's covered head to toe in, in some sort of, of synthetic material. She's more machine than man now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, but but I mean, think about it. There's no way she's reviewing every moment of her life con- individually because you would take three and a half days every week to review the first three and a half days and delete what you don't want. And then you'd have this other three and a half days of you watching it. So it has to be, as father says, some kind of AI or some kind of program running in her in her head is is filtering out a lot of those memories already. This should just be top level important stuff she's reviewing. It shouldn't have to be every week. I do like inner quarters. So we see she's got a bottle of sand from the beach in Hawaii. Yep. And it, they never say Hawaii, but it apparently says so on the bottle. OK. Um, But uh, she's also got in the background, she's got a, both a Hindu statue and a Buddhist statue. So ni- they never make anything out of it. But, you know, nice you know, representation of religion in the 23rd century. That's true. Uh, hopefully it's not just decorative. She picked up at Pottery Barn in 23rd century, but uh, yeah, little cult, no, no cultural appropriation going on there. Meanwhile, Burnham and Spock are trying to figure out the Red oh, Angel oh, pro- oh. problem. By the yeah. way, mm-hmm. the extensive, the fact they've made Arium functional with all of her augments raises major questions for why 10 years later, can't they do the same thing with Pike? Right, because he ends up in a wheelchair that he can only blink yet blink once or twice on his light to say right. yes or no. Right, right. It introduces a problem in the uh, in the timeline, the reverse timeline, uh, which maybe they maybe they end up uh, redoing some yeah. of that. I, I can head canon reasons. I mean, she may have just had physical injuries that they could you know repair. To, with with mechanical parts, whereas he was exposed to delta rays that could have done much more extensive damage on the cellular level that they couldn't repair. Right, exactly. Right, right. but it's some something that should be addressed. Yep. I, you know, I, I will say though that the the scene kind of felt like the uh, the stereotypical war movie scene where you got the private who's showing his seasoned officer or, or 
or sergeant the picture of his girlfriend at home yeah. of course you immediately know he's gonna die and right that's yeah. kind of what this felt like i hate to say yeah the the oh we're finding suddenly ariam gets her moment in the sun and that why bummer yeah yep <laughs> so maybe uh, she's icarus yeah uh, it, and I have to say, the actress looks so different without the without all that makeup on, yes. of course. But uh, it's interesting to see the difference. Um, I'm, 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 I'm. So this is the first time in this series that we've had a character who's been here for this long and has gradually built up, and now we're going to lose the character. So they, they are. That's a dramatic shift, and they're telling us major, you know, characters can't bridge crew can die. Um, but uh, and that's good. But I also wish we'd gotten to know Ariam longer. I agree. Right. Because she was such a neat character. I wish well, we had gotten to know her before she was infected. Yeah. You know, my, my thought, you know, I, I kind of, you know, wrote down that this felt cheap because she was just kind of a, a, I hate to say it, but an appliance on the bridge for a long time. And then all of a sudden, now there's, you know, this season they started to introduce her. You know, we're kind of wondering why she just introduced herself as Lieutenant Ariam. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And even just even just a few episodes, we were having trouble remembering her name. And all of a sudden, the last two episodes, uh, three episodes, well, two episodes yeah. mostly, now they're starting to develop her character just to kill her off. Right. That's that is that is a little frustrating. Like last season, we got nothing about the bridge crew. Like they were just like you said, like your props. Yeah. And now uh, I thought this is a fascinating character. She's sort of a data analog. Uh, sorry, data analog. Don't mean that in the oh, <laughs> in the pun, the pun sense. But she's uh, digital, dude. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> she's the digital analog data. So, um, but but it would have been fascinating to see how they develop this character and use this her unique abilities, presence. Uh, but we've lost that, and I, it's it's frustrating because because some most of the rest of the bridge crew are just pretty standard human beings. In you know, I mean, they're it's, people are interesting. I know, but it, it, there's nothing that makes them real stand out per se in a sci-fi sense. So uh, a little disappointed there. So uh, I was going to say Burnham and Spock were are trying to figure out the red angel problem. Um, and they're still uh, bickering. That seems to be a common theme lately. With well, things. Uh, actually before that, they're just standing there silent in engineering in the spore drive section. Right. Yep. And Stamets is like, you guys are creeping me out. Why don't you start talking? We're thinking, think louder. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> that I don't want a nice line. I don't want to hear myself uh, talking here. Well, uh, I like that line. It was, I don't like having an audience when I talk to myself. <laughs> right. Uh, so they're, they're, uh, he's, this, it comes up. Um, Burnham says to him, the purpose of logic is to problem solve in an uncertain environment. It's the, does that, does that follow? Is that true? In, in terms of its practical application, sure. I mean, in theory, no, you can just do logic for its own sake, like you do, can do math for its own sake. Okay, okay. Um, so then on the, uh, on the uh, Arium is back on the bridge, and we see she's got this relationship with Tilly. They're, they're friendly with each other, um, and they're working on decrypting this, me- this message. Which uh, they've now learned was sent to Section 31. Yes. Um, and and what's fascinating here is we've got a lot of actually fairly subtle psychology in this show because um, Arium apparently is suspecting that she's been compromised. And so so does Nan. Um, right. The, the security and chief. We, 
the security chief, who we learned, by the way, she's a Barzan. And the reason she's got those facial appliances is to let her breathe our atmosphere. We've actually seen the Barzan race before. Uh, they're, the makeup's a little different, but they're in an episode of Next Gen. Um, so, so it was nice for me to say, oh, we know who she is. I didn't know why she had those things on her face. Um, but she also becomes suspicious of Arium and is like shadowing her, but doesn't have enough evidence to go on. And meanwhile, um, as Arium begins to suspect herself, because she's thwarting their decryption efforts, she she tells Tilly, <clears throat> stand by me and don't leave. And so Tilly will see whatever Arium does. And so you get this nice, subtle thing going on where you have suspicions happening around Tilly where both Arium and um, Nahan are are suspicious, but don't have enough to just pull the trigger on this yet. Right. Uh, I, I should close the loop on the 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 Burnham and uh, Spock's discussion uh, in engineering. I'm not sure why they were doing this in engineering as opposed to anywhere else. Uh, but after he asked them so, to think, so Stamets would get a residual for this episode. <laughs> yes, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, after they're, they they've been loud thinking, he then says, "You know what? You're loud thinking is too distracting. Go somewhere else." <laughs> so, which is which is funny. Uh, so yeah, and then Arium, uh, they they decide that uh, because the message was sent to Section Thirty One headquarters at this uh, penal colony that they thought had been closed down long before, but turns out it isn't. Uh, Cornwall says we need to go there, and. Um, and by the way, for people who will remember when Section 31 was introduced in Deep Space Nine, Sloan famously told us there is no Section 31 headquarters. So there's two ways of looking at that. Um, number one, uh, there used to be, but there is no longer. And number two, Sloan was lying, which is like totally in character for Sloan. Both right, are right. equally plausible. Both are equally plausible. <laughs> by, by the way, speaking of Section 31, I had not known this because uh, the licensees have not released these as audiobooks or listenable ebooks. But in the, which is like Kent, I would buy them if you did. Um, yeah, exactly. But in, in the Section 31 novels, uh, control is mentioned as an AI. It's apparently in a couple of the Section 31 novels. So this seems to be an instance of the TV show picking up something from the licensed materials. Mm. Interesting. Um, it, it plays the same role, apparently. So they, they decide to jump there uh, or warp there. They don't. Uh, I got to be careful using jump. They decide to warp yeah. there. Um, and just before they warp. There's this moment where Pike says, well, you know, we're, we're going to enter into this. And then he uses a profanity. He says a bleep storm. We, we're trying to stay G-rated here. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of I, stuff storm. I got that. Yeah. A stuff storm. And uh, which was kind of interesting, given like last episode, we talked about how they seem to be very clearly trying to downplay that. Oh, we're you know, we had said we were going to be able to swear because it's streaming now. But we're not really going to. And even Saru makes a big deal about you know language on the bridge. And Pike is this Boy Scout. So this, well, then I this casual use. Yeah. Well, they're doing that for drama here. Um, also, it's not the it's not an F word. So you know they are they haven't done that yet. Um, again, uh, what I found frustrating about the because he's asking Cornwell, tell me about what we're going to encounter and. 
And in, and we only get this information piecemeal as they encounter it. It's like, dude, no, you need a pre-mission briefing where you tell them everything you know they are going to encounter. And we didn't get that. So we're, we're 10 minutes away now. Now, won't you tell us what we've got while it's almost too late to turn around and say, never mind or to be ready. Right. And so Cornwell tells them that uh, it's heavily fortified and that there are mines and Pike, which are out, illegal. Right. That the mines are illegal. Although. During the Dominion War, did they not use cloaked yes. mines in front of the wormhole? regeneration mines. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Dim- that's a hundred years from now, and yes. different for reasons. <laughs> apparently, <But laughs> apparently, mines are no longer illegal yeah. <laughs> at that time. But uh, it, it's—I mean, there are because of just how dangerous mines are. Um, there are efforts to ban them on Earth right now. So, um, because they they end up staying. I mean, you plant them, and there's no way to collect them afterwards safely. And they stay in areas for years and endanger children who go to play in that field and stuff. So there are landmine banning efforts on Earth right now. I didn't find it at all implausible that Goody Two Shoes Boy Scout Starfleet would have made them illegal in the 23rd century before the realities of the 24th century make them reevaluate that, at least on a case by case basis. Technically, landmines are illegal or they're working to make them illegal, but I don't know about sea mines yet. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure if the, the distinction is being is being made I, I, in that in those I, efforts. I well, I don't know, but I, I I can see a case for banning sea mines too, especially if they become untethered and become a hazard yeah. to, to shipping lanes. Well, it's I I like that that uh, that conversation between Cornwall and and Pike where she says, "Well, we didn't actually make them." And he's, "Well, that's a distinction without a difference. It's not who makes them; it's who uses mm-hmm. them. That's the problem." Right. She have says it, ha- uh, that we were under attack by Klingon warships with cloaking devices, so we needed to. Sometimes in war, the, the, only, the terrible choice is the only choice. And then Pike says, giving up, uh, let's see, um, giving up our values in the name of security is to lose the battle in advance. And then he, then he throws it out there. Is that why Enterprise was sidelined? In other words, mm-hmm. was, were we sent off to the distant reaches during the war because you didn't want me to raise this objection because you knew I would. And she, and then she kind of throws it back to them. No enterprise set out the war because if we lost the war, we wanted the best of Starfleet to survive. And as the conversation makes clear right now, that was Pike and all that he represents. And that's like, Oop, uh, don't like, I feel ooh, awkward now. <laughs> way to, way to diss all of the rest of the discovery bridge crew. You were the guys who weren't good enough to be sent off. Well, yeah, exactly. Given who Lorca was be, was in command, I'm going to guess that was not inaccurate because <laughs> <laughs> it's really about the commander. Right. I mean, the the, the captain uh, Pike would have had to take control of Starfleet or what was left of it had the worst happened. So uh, I, I just love, I love the way Cormac sort of turns it back on him and sort of makes yeah. him awkward by <laughs> pointing out that yeah. uh, it was really a compliment. It's oh. the kind of thing she should have said to him in a ready room, though. Yes, yes. It's oh, well, not good management to say it in front of everybody who you just dissed. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, meanwhile- by the way, with with the mines, I like what they do with them because they're interesting sci-fi mines. They they're not just like photon torpedoes that are drifting, or even just um, one kind of mine. Yeah, they're yeah. they're blade one kind that we learn about are blade mines, which are attracted to. Um, shields i guess so they can't use their shields but then if you can't use their shields the blades activate so i guess maybe they'd blow up if you had your shields 
But um, but then if you don't use your shields, then they start spinning their blades and will cut up your hull. The mm-hmm. other the other type are that we learn about are blackout mines that interfere with your navigational system. Right, makes you think you're upside down, and I'm thinking well, it's it's, or it's like some random directions that you can't <laughs> yeah. figure out what's but going on. You're in. Base. There is no upside down, but okay, never mind. <laughs> well, that, you, you that can, line kind of got me. That of, <laughs> you can understand that, you know, where you expect to pitch, let's say, why up if you yes. want, to, you know, from your perspective, and it starts I, going down instead. You know, yeah. I think that's kind of no, what she was trying to say. I, yeah, I get, I get. It. But she just said, uh, "My sensors say we're upside down," and I just thought that was kind of funny. There's, there, there's extended discussion online of how in all Star Trek and Star Wars, all the ships all uh, are. Uh, face the same way they they always are on the same plane like they're ships sitting in uh in water uh wherever they, they are in they, space they've been doing uh they've been doing things about that though in this season of discovery where we get these weird panning angles and see things up ships and stuff upside down um i like how cornwell tells detmer uh at that point uh you're flying blind just like in the academy which is a nice way of telling the audience you were trained and you would have been trained to deal with this. So I guess she's using dead reckoning or something to navigate at that point. Right. And some kind of internal gyroscope or something. Meanwhile, while all of this is going on on the bridge, Burnham and Spock are off doing something else. I guess they're not at red alert. So, you know, they can be doing what they, what they're doing, but they're uh, playing Michael, chess. Michael proposes a game of three dimensional chess as a way to help fix Spock's logic. Um, I like this exchange where he says, um, it's arrogant of you to assume I need fixing. And she says, it's arrogant of you to assume you don't. (laughs) Well, then let's play chess. Yeah. Anyway, are you just afraid to lose? And so, of course, he's not. Um, I I have to admit, as much as I hate the way they portrayed Spock in all this, it was kind of nice to see Burnham get taken down a notch or two by him. (laughs) Yes. There is some real. This is kind of the second of three particularly subtle psychological scenes um, in this episode, because as, as they're playing chess, he's losing. And so she's probing him on why are you, why are you not focusing and stuff? You're and, and he's playing illogically. She says, what's that? She tells him you're playing illogically. You're making illogical moves. And she thinks he's doing it on purpose. And I love his line. Maybe I just don't like rooks. Um, (laughs) but, (laughs) But, uh, and I, I'm a little different, Father. I, I, I actually am okay with the way they're playing Spock, and I like how he and Burnham are are passively aggressively fighting by psychologically analyzing each other. And he starts going after her and tells her you that she falsely blames herself for the war. I mean, he says he doesn't say it that way. He says, you know, the war was your fault, but he's implying you're falsely blaming yourself for the war and also for the death of your parents because you wanted to stay and watch a star become a supernova and you should have known as a child that's exactly when the klingons would attack and he's being sarcastic um but he says that she assumes too much responsibility for herself and um and she's which is which is true as a character, she does. She assumes too much responsibility. She doesn't realize not everything hangs on her and she's not responsible for everything. And then she starts going after him for why are you so angry? And he kind of doesn't understand why he's angry. 
but he starts talking about his failures and talk, talks about failure as liberating because then you don't have the responsibility. If you failed, you can't do anything about it. And so in a way that's liberating, which is the opposite of her experience where she's can't allow herself to feel any sense of failure. And so she she insists on being responsible for everything. Yeah, he tells her you have you have a tendency to shoulder impossible burdens to avoid acknowledging your unimaginable grief. And I think he, he even says it's not even just that the failure is liberating, but his anger is liberating because for the first time he enjoys expressing emotion. Uh, and it's a very and by the way, if Vulcans have one na- you know national or species sport, it's sarcasm. V- Vulcans have always been very good at sarcasm. Uh, but 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 it's interesting to see that he he's choosing to express the, the, this emotion, and it come and it comes out as anger uh, in this right. Uh, well, and it, experimentation. And he knocks over the chessboard. Yeah, yeah. and it was and it was played well because you know Burnham. She looks like he just stabbed her in the heart. I mean. Right. He hit right square in the target. You know, I mean, yeah. it was played well. So and of course, I, I love that. That's going to be the key element in the climactic moment of this episode, by the way. Yeah. Her I, tendency. I, I, I love these brother sister or I love these Vulcan arguments, by the way. A couple episodes, we got a husband wife Vulcan spat and now we get yeah. a brother sister Vulcan spat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they're called to the bridge um, and there's a. It's a yellow alert. Okay, I want to state that right up for up front. It was called a yellow alert. As they're leaving, the the camera zooms in on the chess pieces that that are now scattered on the floor and goes out of focus. But there's a red glow coming in from the side that gets bright. It gets bl- brighter and brighter as the scene ends. What um, was that? A a red angel? Something? I. That's I just felt like that there was it was a very strange thing. And I thought they might come back to that. They never did. But I just thought it was a very interesting moment. If you, if you get a chance to rewatch that scene, I mean, I mean, I'd love to hear about other people's take on it. Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, symbolizing the red of anger or who knows. Right, right. But it wasn't a, it was a it was very specifically a yellow alert. Uh, the line said yellow alert. So they were they're called to the bridge. Um, meanwhile, once they get there, Burnham, of course realizes that the AI uh, control is using game theory to anticipate their moves as they go through the minefield, so they need to introduce randomness to their maneuver, just like Spock did in their chess game. Oh. And, 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 and this is actually a sound tactic when you're dealing with, I mean, it's a little coincidental they were playing chess just before this information became relevant, but when you're confronted with someone who can outthink you, um, introducing randomness into the situation is a sound strategy. It shows up. I've seen it in other science fiction works where characters will deliver when they know they're dealing with someone smarter than them. They will deliberately like flip a coin at key junctures because an AI cannot de- or a superior intelligence cannot de- tell what the coin flip is going to come up as. Right. And this is a key to the bo- defense against the Borg in the future. The random free- uh, frequency. Shield, uh, shield frequency uh, variations that they come up with to to to, to combat the Borg. They're compensating, Captain. <laughs> yes, yeah, those Borg. Those Borg are always compensating for something. So uh, uh, they uh, and they have different crew members calling out different uh, um, evasive Joke. maneuver patterns. Yeah, uh, that was nice. Kind of fun. Um, I mean, I just want to be the wise guy and yell out, you know. Uh, do the hustle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, 
they they get through and then they get a, a communication from Admiral Patar, who says that Starfleet Command is itself has ordered this attack on Discovery. Uh, so therefore, you need to stand down because this is, you know, this is uh, you're you have no one to back you up in in this. Um, of course, we find out, you know, spoilers because we've already everybody's already watched this. <laughs> we find out that this is not actually Admiral Patar; she is long dead, and that this is a hologram. Of, she's not only dead; she's cold and dead, really cold and ver- dead, very very frozen, dead. cold and dead. <laughs> yes, uh, and that. Uh, uh, who is it that sees that something is wrong? Saru, Saru, right? Vision. Right, special Saru vision uh, sees that the uh, there is no none of the color variation uh, in the infrared spectrum. I think or that uh, all creatures exhibit as they talk or something. Yeah. So this is so he, he ties it to emotional reactions, and he notices that um, that. Admiral Patar does not have the appropriate facial flush in of heat that she should at a particular moment. And then he plays the video of Spock attacking the and killing the people in the asylum. And he says, see here in the ultraviolet. And it's like, dude, no, he is infrared. That's the wrong end of the visible light spectrum. Right, right. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, that was that was a a very big fluff in the script uh, on on their part. Um, then we have uh, Spock giving advice to Stamets on his relationship with Hugh, which I thought was interesting. Um, and it's another interesting psychological moment because so he mentions that Culber has moved out and and uh, and Stamets has been talking to Spock about the Red Angel and says the Red Angel wouldn't have picked. I mean, you can he's going, you can figure this out. The Red Angel wouldn't have picked a random Vulcan to mind meld with. And I'm going, yes, thank you. It's Michael. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but um, it's, Spock then starts analyzing Stamets psychologically and says, because he he has this problem of distance with Michael right now that Stamets is picking up on. Why are you and 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 so distant from Michael? And Spock turns it around on him and says, maybe the reason that Culber moved out is because he needs distance from you precisely because he doesn't know who he is anymore. Mm, and like that Spock. suggests that's what <laughs> Spock's situation is. So, so he needs distance from Michael because he's uncertain of where he's at right now. So he can't deal with her. Right. Exactly. Uh, then we have, and, and of course, also, won't, also won't give him that Stam- distance. Yeah. Stamets tell, and like in both cases, yeah, uh, Stamets has been pursuing Culber and Michael has been pursuing Spock and Stamets tells Spock that Michael loves him. Right. Yes. Very interesting moment. Uh, so they, they realize that the only way to, uh, to to get what they need is they need to beam over to the station, which uh, where life power and life support has been disabled. So um, what an undiscovered country we are in when we beam exactly. over. <laughs> <laughs> we have floating stuff, gravity boots and little droplets of blood floating in the in the air. Yes, uh, we, we've seen that somewhere before, haven't we? Uh, so, uh, Arium finds a reason for her to go over with them. Uh, she, she comes up the reason with, uh, Burnham and Na, uh, and then as soon as Arium volunteers, Nan jumps in because she's, like you said, has been very suspicious of Arium by this point. And, uh, they discover, uh, Patar and the other, uh, Section 31 admirals are dead. 
Um, and they were talking to an AI uh, con- controlled hologram all this time. And and this is creepy. They they're like floating in these zero gravity poses, and they've been dead for two weeks. They're covered in ice. And then when they turn the life support back on, so the gravity comes on, smash! And like one of the one of the bodies is cut in half by that. And Admiral Batar's arm has been shattered off. Yes, he's very creepy. Um, so, uh, Arium uh, is going to the. Oh, I forget exactly what they gave as a reason what, what she was going to be manipulating. She she was going to yeah. reboot the uh, the control right AI. Right. So what she's really doing is downloading all of the data from the sphere that the sphere gathered about the galaxy. Oh, and the, remember the sphere from a few episodes ago. Um, she's downloading all that data, which is why Arium has. Been, that's why Arium has been offloading all of her memories is to make room for all right. that. Tilly figures that out. Also, it's not, and it's not just data from the sphere. It's specifically data about artificial intelligence. Right. Right. So uh, the Transformer planet where uh, Optimus Prime is from, all that stuff is yep, being downloaded. Exactly. V'ger's planet, which is the same planet, by the way, uh, as uh, Cybertron. And so uh, <laughs> when uh, so Nun uh, confronts uh, Arium and Arium knocks the breathing thing off of Nan's face. And she's instantly debilitated because apparently Barzan natives can't hold their breath for beans. Well. Not just that. Why doesn't she activate her environmental suit? Because wouldn't her environmental suit be tuned for her specific yeah. environment? Just yeah. turn it on. Put the helmet back on. Oh, yeah, don't, that, don't that you know those are only designed for humans and they have to, you know. Yeah, yeah. right. Sure. Uh, so we find out that control is the one that took control of Arium to get the sphere data so that it could be its, its aim is to become fully conscious and aware and independent um, so that it can then um skynet is active and destroy all the all of humanity um i found it interesting so tilly is trying to get through to arium but she doesn't try to hack her because she's got a virus in her head right she's not trying she doesn't try to like use computer wizardry and that's a i, I applaud this aspect of of uh, the what the writers did because the temptation of star trek is to you find the technological solution we got to tech the tech exactly so instead, she uses a hum- her humanity that's in Arium. Uh, she's trying to remind her of her memories, of her most important memories, including and she she texts her a memory. Right, right. She sends her an SMS of her memory, uh, and uh, and Arium is able to get a little bit of control back, but not. She knows that it's not a permanent thing, and she wants. Uh, there's a big fight with Michael. Gets locked in the airlock. That's the standard sci-fi trope of the airlock situation and she wants michael to open the airlock and kill her to save everyone from her and and michael is now in that situation that spock talked about she is has this burden she has to kill her friend uh which they didn't really spend a lot of time building up that friendship but you know they, we have to deal with what we've got here is which she has to kill arium in order to uh save everyone and she can't do it. And it's Nan who has to come back from the breathing problem. Yeah. To and Pike, the Pike is like giving Michael, this is a direct order. Open the airlock. Right. Yeah. She's trying to relieve her of that burden. But Michael exactly. cannot, cannot well, then, psychologically course, turn that over. On, as all this is going on, you've got the classic sci-fi countdown where it takes 30 seconds to open up that door. So they have time for the emotional reactions and everything. And, and last second. 
and 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 also even uh, even though doors are very important to what's going on in this fight scene phasers don't work on doors for some reason in in this scene um so they can't just blast their way through doors at appropriate moments in fairness to michael she does have an alternative i mean she is defying orders but she has an alternative she's trying to work which is she's trying to take the computer offline so she can like delete all of the stuff that Arium uploaded to it. There's another solution that's never brought up, which is why don't they just beam Arium into a cell on discovery? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, yeah, that, even or after she was done, like, stun her into unconsciousness. Right. But like, even after like, okay, let's say that the section 31 headquarters, that section was shielded from transport. Let's say yeah. that. Okay. It is a prison. Right. Boom. The door's open. She's ejected into space. Beam her up now. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she was still alive for for a bit there. She's still, uh, you know, got all the cybernetic augmentations probably keeping her alive longer than a normal unaugmented human would. But still, it's just a little frustrating. Like, beam her up, beam her up. Um, so, but uh, everyone is is, is uh, very strongly affected by Arium's sacrifice. Uh, you see all the emotion, uh, all the bridge crew. Um, we find out and, that, and, and as as Arium is dying, she replays the memory of her elopement video. Right, right. A very uh, uh, strong emotional moment. Uh, very well done, uh, J- uh, Jonathan Frakes and the writers to, to to build up the emotion that moment. That was that was very good. Um, we and fi- then then we have closing credits that are utterly silent with no music and just a black background. And we see like her Arium's uh, shattered gold mathematical badge for excellence laying there. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't uh, know that Dom has seen that yet, but I know father Corey. has. Oh yes. Got yeah. that one instantly. I think I uh, recognize the reference from, uh, from Dr. Who. Who. Yeah. That's a yeah. Doctor Who reference. We'll get there shortly. We're not that far away on secrets of Dr. Who from that episode. So, right. But, um, Arium, so we find out that Arium had been uploading the sphere data. She'd only been able to transmit 25%. Control had needed her to finish. Um, and then. And, but- and she tells Michael two very important things before the airlock opens. She says, it, it, meaning control or the virus or whatever, it wanted me to kill you. Everything is because of you. So, okay, Mike, who's trying to stop this thing? The Red Angel. So, who is the Red Angel? It's going to be Michael, unless they're doing a big fake out. Um, then the second important thing she says is you have to find Project Daedalus. Boom. Airlock opens. Out she goes. Then from there, we get uh, previews for next week. And we. Well, pre- we didn't on Amazon Prime or on Amazon. They, oh, okay. there was no no preview. I had to go on YouTube to find it. All access had the had it. Uh, and so the, the preview is going to show that uh, Mike. I mean, uh, let's let's just say funeral. And then we're going to see Michael going into whatever Project Daedalus is, is something having to do with the Red Angel transporting Michael somewhere in time and space. Ooh, uh, that Daedalus, those Red Angel wings. Exactly. Yeah, I hope they're exactly. not made out of wax or the red heat may melt them. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's this episode. And so as we as I, you know, we agreed before, this was a good, good episode. Another yeah. good episode. Um, yeah. And it feels further- like the series is has kind of hit its stride now. Now that we're halfway through, we've got done with all the setup and now they can start to pay things off. Right. And in fact, the next episode is called Red Angel. I mean, this is going to be I mean, it may, in fact, pay off the whole thing. I mean, this may be the 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 end of it. We'll have a whole nother thing for the rest of the season. They they have to 
have major reveals on the Red Angel next time, or the title will be a total, or they're just being unfair with the audience. If you call it the Red Angel, you have to explain major things about the Red Angel, even if you don't give it all away, though, frankly, they may give it all away. Right. And uh, Jimmy, you shared a video with me, a YouTube video talking about the the new Picard series starring Patrick Stewart, which has rumor. It mentions rumors that the Red Angel is somehow connected to uh, the events of the J.J. Uh, Abrams uh, Kelvin timeline, Star Trek, the red substance. What is the, the red, red element? Red matter. Red matter. That, 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 and the destruction of Romulus and Vulcan and stuff. Personally, I didn't, I didn't buy that. Um, that's not the reason I shared the video with you. It just had other information right, it about the upcoming Picard series that was more credible. Right, right. The, the whole idea that Patrick Stewart will make a cameo in the last episode of the season, I, I don't necessarily think that's, that's going to happen kinda, either. That's stretching. That that seems stretched. The big stretch yeah. to me. But the uh, color red keeps showing up in different things. So you know that's probably yeah. something. One sixth of one sixth of the spectrum. So. Ex- exactly. <laughs> uh, so uh, anything else? Uh, you guys have any notes on this episode? A couple of small things, just real small things. Uh, one of the scenes where Arium is downloading her memories into Discovery. Uh, they actually played a modem sound, so she's using a modem to, uh-huh. to download into Discovery. <laughs> yep, yep. Just real quickly, just a little quick snippet. And then the electrical isolation on Discovery sucks because Stamets is sitting there working on that that part of the spore drive, and it shorts out and, like, shorts out all of engineering. So <laughs> right. Have you not heard you of think circuit breakers? better isolation than that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, uh, anything else? Is that it? That's it. Okay. I, I noted that. So it was kind of fun to have a callback when we're, I, I thought the memory scene where Arium's reviewing her memories, I thought that was very nicely done because uh, we get to see all these little glimpses of her life and they're really sweet. They're really nice. We get the elopement. We get the video of her sitting around with the other female crew members and they're, they're talking lunch. about yep. uh, having lunch or whatever. And they're talking about Cotiscott which is a game people will remember from Voyager. Um, and uh, apparently Tilly and Arium are like the best Cotiscott players, you know, on Never. the ship. And, um, and, and it was just really nice and sweet. And I like the way that Tilly then called that back as, as she was trying to reach Arium's humanity. Um, I, I also, I liked how Tilly figured out what was going on with Arium after she beamed over, although they didn't really set it up about here's how she knew she just kind of deduced it out of nowhere um but it it did give us a nice tilly arium scene uh also i noticed even though they told us you can't use shields because it'll attract mines one at a certain point they started using shields because uh detmer had a line of like shields are at 90 percent right they did they, they did. They did give the order to raise shields uh, yes. at one point uh, after it, after the saw the saw blade mines started hitting the ship. They went ahead and raised shields so that the saw blade mines didn't turn the ship into confetti. Yeah, <laughs> right. So that's that story. I did want to kind of bring up a little bit of feedback. We had uh, a, a post um, comment on Facebook on our episode on light and shadows from two two weeks ago, where uh, Alfredo says that uh, he says great show again. Thank you, Alfredo. Uh, you mentioned how Section 31 is reminiscent of the Psycor in Babylon 5, but yeah. I think it's more specifically reminiscent of Bureau 13 within the the core. They even had a control in the person of Talia Winter's hidden personality. So, very interesting uh, for yeah. you uh, Trekkies who are also Babylon 5 fans. Oh, yes. Uh, 
Uh, but so in, thank you, incident, in, Incidentally, they had to change Bureau 13. That was the original name for the secret organization on Babylon 5. Uh, they had to change the name because there was like a a, a role-playing game or something called Bureau 13. Uh, and so they transformed it into the Night Watch. So uh, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek. And uh, today we want to thank by name Laura M., Matthew B., Sailing L., Amy Z and CM, and you all know who you are. And through your generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at SQPN. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What do you all think of Project Daedalus and uh, what we had to say about it? Did we miss anything or anything we need to correct or just want to add to what we had to say? We would love to hear from you, so you could go to sqpn.com slash Trek or the SQPN Facebook page, uh, which is at facebook.com slash Media, and leave us feedback there or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the aforementioned episode Red Angel. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Live long and prosper. And remember, as the CEO of SQPN, it's all about you. You have to find Project Daedalus so you can become the Red Angel. <laughs> I am the Red Angel. <laughs> Father yeah. Corey Stika, thank you as well. Uh, well. Thank you. I don't have anything as clever as Jimmy, so I'll see you. <laughs> okay. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, three cheers for cybernetics. Cybernetics.